Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the City Baptist Church Podcast. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. You can find all the information you need on our website at citybaptist.church. It reminds me of a quote uh, from many years ago that has stuck with me for many, many years uh, from a guy by the name of Andy Stanley. And it was a book really along the subject line of church growth and development. Uh, But he said this, he said this, that it is direction, it is not intention that determines your destination. This is a quote that has stayed with me for many, many years because it rings so true in so many areas of life. He says here that it is our direction, not our intention, that determines your destination. What is he trying to say to us about that? Well, for the Christian, this is so key because so many believers, I believe, have an intention of following God. Many Christians today, many of you in here, I think if I was to ask you, what are your intentions for your faith? You would have an intention to live for God. But the problem is, is that often our direction, where we are actually headed, is different or it does not reflect the intention that we may have. And this applies in many areas of life, but especially in the set-apart life of holiness that we are encouraged to pursue. See, many Christians have an intention of living in holiness, but they choose the world. Does that make sense? Their intention is to live for God, but their direction is towards the world. Uh, Many parents desire to raise and disciple their children for the Lord, but their daily actions and the direction that they're actually leading their family in shows that they are actually raising them for the world and the things and the lusts and the love of this world. Uh, Others that say they want to be intentional about being forgiven and, and forgiveness and be free, but their direction and their actions reveal that they are headed in the direction of bitterness and they're headed in the direction of of, of vengeance and trying to make things right. Others desire a lifelong growing relationship with Jesus Christ, but they're just so easily ensnared and so obvious their life is spent in fleshly pursuits. The point being this, our direction, the steps we take will determine where we end up. And so we must be followers uh, who focus our hearts and our attention on the one who is worthy of our pursuit. That's Jesus Christ and his word. By the way, this isn't about salvation. We, We recognize that. This isn't like, oh, if I do enough good things, then I'll end up in heaven. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the pursuit of holiness, the spiritual aspects that we all are desiring to pursue. And so we have to, at some point, take action. At some point, we have to point our life in the right direction. We have to put aside the distractions of this world and head where God wants us to go, and that's the pursuit of holiness. And what is so great about the Word, especially this book of 1 Peter, is that he's giving us actionable steps. He's telling us exactly where it is that we need to be going. And so this is the tension behind the letter here that Peter is writing to the scattered believers in those Roman-occupied territories. And he's giving them to us as well, those of us who identify today and feel that we are strangers and pilgrims in this life. He's giving us ways that we can live above the temptations and above the trials of this world. And he begins with another set of encouragements for us today. And so point number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to see here, he encourages us as strangers and pilgrims to live with reverent fear, to live with reverent fear. He's just talked about our mind, our focus, pursuing holiness. Now he's giving us some, uh, I don't know, some foundation even to those things. He says, I want you to live with reverent fear. Look at verse number 17 with me. He says, and if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in, say that word with me, fear. 
past the time of your sojourning. The word sojourn is so great. It means you're just sort of visiting. And that's the reflection of us as believers. We're just sort of visiting here for a while. It's been fun. It's been a rough vacation, but we're here for now. Uh, But we are going somewhere else in the future. And he says, you need to pass the time. One of the ways that you can get through the sojourning is with fear. In other words, the time that we have on this life is to be marked by the characteristic of the fear of God. Now, whenever we use that term fear of God, you know, it kind of brings up some thoughts. Now, just to make it very clear, we're not talking about a very expensive street wear clothing brand called Fear of God. And maybe only Christian knows about that. I don't know. But uh, I, have, I have a sweatshirt that Christian gave me, thankfully, and it says Fear of God on it. It's pretty cool, actually. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about that. Uh, I would not build a message on streetwear uh, at all. Nor is it, do you understand, this is not talking about a paralyzing terror where you're so afraid of God's, you know, lightning bolt finger that you have in your mind that you are so paralyzed that you cannot do anything. There's this, there's this terror of God. That's not what it's talking about either. In Scripture, when we are talking about the fear of God, what it is, it is a genuine respect for the holiness of God, for His righteousness, and His impartial judgment of mankind. We're going to break all those down here in a moment. It means this, to fear God means to hold Him in awe. It means to reverence the holiness the power, the knowledge, the wisdom, the judgment, and yes, of course, the wrath of God as well. So when he's talking about people who live our time and we live out our years here, it means that we hold God in a very, very high esteem and honor. It means that we reverence him in a very unique way. And if we do this, what we understand is that it is then possible to truly love God and to truly worship Him and truly serve Him because the fear that God wants us to have is a fear of reverence and in awe of who He is. And it is that kind of reverence, that awe of God that stirs in us the deepest of emotions. It stirs in us a desire then to love Him and to serve Him with all of our lives. That is what he's talking about here. It is an intense reverence of who God is. And it's something that we as Christians need to strive for. It is something that we need to pursue with our heart that we would live reverently and in awe and in fear of who God is. So often in our mindset, we minimize who God really is. We view him as a sort of a good luck charm. You know, he's on the, what, right shoulder and the devil's on the left shoulder, you know? And we're like, oh, hey, what do you think I should do? Oh, okay, All right, you know, and we go back and forth. No, no, God is holy, God is righteous, and we must live in reverent awe of who he is. And he gives us some reasons for that in the passage as we break it down. First of all, we fear God here because he is our father. We fear God because he is our father. Again, reverence. Some of you, if I use the word fear and father in the same word, you're like, oh man. <laughs> you go back to a place, right? You, you remember being a little kid, being in trouble, or whatever it may be. That, again, this is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a reverence, a respect of God. And one of the reasons that we respect him is because he is our father. Notice there it says at the beginning of that verse, he says, if ye call on the father. Now, I love that there. By the way, notice the word if. Meaning that our relationship with God does actually depend on our decision-making towards him. We do need to take steps. And so he says, if you call on the Father. Now, I love the, just the terms here that he uses for us. He's talking about the fear of God, but he's talking about us calling. Re- that's the idea of reaching out to the Father here. See, listen, we have God who calls us his Father, who we call our Father. And it's because he has adopted us into his family. 
And because he has adopted us with no strings attached, he has welcomed us into his family, then he deserves respect simply because of his adoption of us. Now think about that for a moment. Because of that action that God has given to us of adoption, of, of welcoming us into his family, there's a level of respect that he then deserves from us. As well, of course, we know that he's asked us and he's invited us to enter into his presence, to confess our sin, to walk before him, and he welcomes us. He asks us to call on him as a father. You know, it's so interesting. If I was to say to you guys, tell me somebody that you respect in your life. If I say, hey, I, like, who do you respect in your life? You, you know, we'd all think of somebody and you maybe name somebody. And I know if I ask you the question, then why do you respect them? One of the biggest reasons, I know for me, one of the biggest things that I would say right away is that, you know what, they're there for me. They're there for me. They check on me. They want to make sure that I'm doing okay. They welcome me into their home. They welcome me into their life. They're a part, they really do care about me and they want to be around me and they spend time with me. And so you respect them because of their willingness and the way that they've reached out to you. And that's how it is with God. We, we have reverence and awe and respect of God because he reached down to us of low estate, as scripture says, those of us that were far from God. And he's welcomed us into his family. And he's not a respecter of persons, is he? Doesn't matter what your background is. It does not matter what kind of sin past you have. God welcomes you into his family. And that's a wonderful thing. And we can find and experience and give God respect because he is our father. But also we see in this passage, we fear God because he is an impartial judge. Look again at verse 17. He says, if you call on the father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work. Now notice what we see here. First of all, everyone will be judged by God. I want you to notice that right away. Just notice that. We will all stand before God at some day and there is no escaping it. But the second aspect of the judgment is that God is not a respecter of persons. Do you see that there? He says, who without respect of persons? In other words, the accomplishments of this life will not matter when you stand before God. And it and, and doesn't matter what you do. So I think somebody said, you know, a hundred days of serving the Lord will not erase the fact that you will stand before him one day. And there's this big expression, I can't even, I'm totally misquoting it right now, so I won't even try to bother with it. But the idea that all of our good works, everything that we do, we will one day still stand before God and he will judge all persons, all people without respect. We will be judged according to our works. Nobody gets a special pass. Now this should invoke the fear of God in our lives because what it means is that we cannot excuse ourselves away with good works. We cannot excuse away and be like, oh, well, I did all these good things, God. And here's the other side of it. You can't beat yourself up because you're not as good as somebody else then. Because that person that you compare yourself to is also going to stand before God and give an account just as much as you are. To me, this is so, so important because we compare ourselves with one another. But listen, I want you to think right now that person that you compare yourself with spiritually, they will stand before God just as much as you will. God will not be like, oh, wow, that person, you know, well, you had five people look up to you, therefore you can skip out on judgment, you know, because five people thought you were spiritual. No, no, no. Everyone will stand before God. You think of 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians, sorry, uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 10, where it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. The point is we will all stand before the Lord and our works will be judged. We will be judged to see if we live worthy of our calling and of our salvation. Now this verse uh, has, the, the idea of judgment has two different uh, connotations to it. It has the idea of judgment to come, which would be when we stand before God and we give judgment for our works. It also has the idea 
of judgment now in this life. Because we understand and we know that God does discipline those he loves, doesn't he? He corrects those that he loves. He corrects his children. He pays attention to them. He sees when they are straying and far away. Some of you have experienced the the correcting hand of God in your life, where you've maybe been away from God, and he brought a situation, a circumstance, a person, a, a word, whatever it may be, that brought you back to where you needed to be. And that was God. And you can point to God and say, okay, that was him, right? And we're thankful for those things. And so that's the idea here, is that there's a judgment, yes, on this earth of how we're living our life now. There's an aspect of God's work in our lives now, but also the judgment that is to come where we will all stand before God and and, and he will bring that correction to us. And so we should accept that today. Not as a spoiled child who's upset, but as a grateful child who recognizes God care for us. And that then leads to the fear of God, the respect of God, the fact that we will stand in judgment before him. So he's building a case here for the fear of God. And thirdly, the third reason he gives us to fear God is because he has redeemed us. So we fear God because he's our father. We fear him because he is an impartial judge, but we also fear him because he has redeemed us. Look at verse 18 and 19 now of 1 Peter 1. He says, For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, that's your vain conduct, received by tradition, from your fathers. Okay, I almost could stop here and preach an entire message on the things that we receive from our parents that we continue on in <laughs> and that are vain, but we won't, okay? But I think you guys understand what he's saying here. And then he says this. So we're not redeemed with corruptible things, silver and gold. Of course, those would have been probably the most valuable things in that day. But we are redeemed, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. As believers today, we are to reverence God because we have been redeemed. This is what it comes down to. Because we have been redeemed. The word lutron means to be set free or to deliver by paying a ransom. We are redeemed by God. He has paid the ransom. Now, we understand the concept of ransom, don't we, today? We certainly understand it. And I I came across a very interesting story that just happened just in October and November. And it's the story of these four brothers that were kidnapped in South Africa on October the 20th. Now, apparently, South Africa, I did not realize this, but apparently there are 6,000, or last year alone, there were 6,632 kidnappings last year. On an average, 18 kidnappings a day happen in that country, primarily for the purpose of ransom, for uh, um, black, you know, uh, what's the word, uh, uh, blackmailing people and getting, getting money from them for that. I thought this was so interesting. Well, these four brothers were kidnapped on their way to school by two armored cars that uh, are cars that stopped them and with guns took them and, and took these four brothers. And, uh, and, and they were held for quite a long time and asked for a ransom of 2.5 million pounds um, was, the, was the ransom that was asked for them. Well, after all of these weeks, eventually uh, the family did, or I'm not sure if it was a family or a group of people, they did come up with the money, and the boys were released 200 kilometers away from home and just dumped in a street, and uh, they were found, thankfully, were safe, and the ransom was paid. Now, I share that story with you um, just because we understand this concept, don't we? We understand the concept of someone kidnapping, hopefully you've never thought about this, but you're kidnapping someone and demanding a ransom because of that. And so that's what happened here. They paid it and the boys were returned, thankfully, 
unharmed and, and outside of psychological damage, uh, they were, you know, largely were okay. Now, when it comes to this idea of Christ's redemption, we understand this in this way. See, mankind, we have been kidnapped, if you want to put it that word. We've been held, we've been taken by sin and by Satan. Before we knew Christ, we were held in bondage. We were held in slavery to those things. And the only acceptable ransom, the only acceptable payment for that was the precious, incorruptible, sinless blood of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. God willingly paid that price so that we could be free, that we could be redeemed, we could be bought back, we could be freed from the emptiness of that life of pursuing sin. And the thing is that only the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross was the effective atonement or forgiveness for our sins. Remember in the Old Testament, they sacrificed lambs, and those lambs were supposed to be perfect lambs that they sacrificed as a picture of what was to come. But those of us New Testament believers who live after the coming of Jesus Christ, we recognize that our sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is what it means that we have been redeemed. Notice as well in verse number 20 and 21, he says, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, manifest, revealed, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Here's what I want us to know is that our salvation is not an afterthought to God. God was not like scrambling in heaven uh, when, he, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. He wasn't like, oh man, what am I going to do now? It says that before the foundation of the world, God in his ultimate wisdom and his full understanding who operates outside of linear time that we live in today, he understood and knew that this was to come. And so he provided a plan of redemption for his people. That is amazing. Think about that. That even though before he created the earth and even though uh, before he created mankind who he knew was going to rebel against him and he knew was going to turn on him, he still provided a way of salvation for us. If that was you and us and you and I and we knew that was to come, we wouldn't have even bothered creating the earth, would we? Uh, forget that plan. Let's start with a different one. Let's do something else. But he created man with his own free will, even though he knew that we would reject him. That speaks to the love and the grace of our God that he would still, before the foundation of the earth, provide redemption for us. Man, that's worthy of our respect, isn't it? That's worthy of our fear. Think about it, church. This is, I mean, these are the deep-rooted understandings that we must have in our hearts that we understand as believers today. It's amazing that there is this redemption that God has given to us. And Peter here, I, I believe, is trying to encourage us that everything, this plan of salvation, all of this is for those of us who are loved and chosen of God. And as a result of that redemption that we have, we can truly live with a reverent fear. He says, I want you to live with that reverent fear of God. Hey, I wonder, do you live with a reverent fear of God? Or do you only revere him? Do you only turn to him when you're in crisis? When you're in trouble? Is he the thing that you just pull off the shelf when you need help? Or is he the one that you revere in your life is, is surrounded by and, and connected to the fear of Almighty Holy God, who is your Father, who is the impartial judge who will one day judge you, but he has redeemed you as well. Now think about that for a moment. This is a great foundation for living as a stranger and a pilgrim in this life. But there's a second aspect that we're going to cover today, that not only should we live in reverent fear of God, but we also live and we really prove out our faith and take actionable steps by secondly this morning, learning to love with a fervent, pure heart. 
He encourages us, I want you to live with a reverent fear, but also you need to love with a fervent, pure heart. Look with me at verse 22 and verse 23. Church, I believe this is so, so important that we lock into this in our hearts right now. Look at verse 22. He says, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Unfeigned means sincere. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. There's that word. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You know, this is probably one of the strongest statements that we see on brotherly love in the New Testament, because here's what it's doing. It virtually makes our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ the goal of our conversion. I want to say that again, because I think we need to get that. Loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, he is presenting it to us as the goal of our salvation. One of the aspects that we are to pursue because of our salvation is the fact that we love our brothers and sisters in this way. And Peter is expecting of those that he's writing to, and of course us as well, that growth in purity and growth in holiness would result in deeper love, not shallower love, but deeper love among Christians. Not merely an outward appearance, not merely a profession, but sincere, that means unfeigned, that's that word, sincere love for the Christian brothers and sisters within your local church, and of course, those that know Jesus Christ. Now listen, we all know what fake love looks like, don't we? <laughs> We've all had people in our lives that, that said they love you, right? I love you, or they acted like they loved you at some point, but eventually it was revealed that that truly was not there. Now we know what insincere love is, don't we? We can identify it, we can see it, we can smell it. <laughs> we, are, we, are, we, think, we think it about other people as well even. We project it on other people, insincere love. But listen, as a believer, what we see here is that despite the uniqueness of our differences and how God created us, despite all of that, it is possible and it is commanded that there is a sincere love for one another. And as we grow in holiness together, we can learn to love each other in this intense way because of the Holy Spirit that is within us. And that's really the only way that that's possible, isn't it? That is the only way that it is possible. Now, this kind of love that he's talking about here is actually not possible in the world that we live in. I want to clarify that just real briefly. It's so interesting to me that the world claims to be this place of great love, right? <laughs> but true love is not really understood unless somebody understands the love of God and has accepted the love of God. It's so ironic to me that some of the groups that, that are in our world today, that their catchphrases have the word love in it, you know, love over everything else, or love conquers all, or whatever it is. They are some of the most hateful and vengeful people to those who don't agree with them. <laughs> have you ever noticed that? Well, what happened to love? You know, I thought love was, was above all things. No, no, no. Only if you agree with me, then I will love you. If you agree with me in every aspect of this or in this campaign or whatever it is that they're pursuing. So it's not actually possible within the world that we live in, but it is possible within the body of Christ. It is possible with his people. That's why it's so powerful here, because it reminds us that the power of love is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that indwells us. That is what supersedes any differences or challenges that our flesh comes up with. 
And it is because of our common forgiveness in Christ that we love each other and love, uh, 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 love our brothers and sisters in Christ as God commanded us to. You, you cannot talk about love without John 13 where he says, Jesus said a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another. This is so powerful. The way that we are known by the world to be a follower of Jesus Christ is by our love for one another. Our love for one another. Christians love for one another. And we should love each other in that pure, sincere way. But also notice he encourages us to love each other fervently. Now this, I I love this. The Greek word is extenos, and it actually gives us a little bit of an idea of what it means. It, It is from a verb that means to stretch out the hand. So he says that we're to love each other in an outstretched hand kind of a way. Now, what does that mean? It means that we are stretched out towards each other. We are earnest. We are resolute. We are not tense in the sense of like, but in the idea of of we're there for someone to grab hold of and pull towards ourselves. Now, think about that for a moment. We're to love in an outreaching kind of way. To put it simply, to love one another fervently is to be reaching out to one another. That means to be intentionally spending time with your church family, going out of your way to share your time together, to share your blessings with each other. Now, one of my fears as pastor is certainly that this pandemic and the just constant promotion of fear has developed in us and in many of us, and I feel it even in my own life, it has developed in us a bit of an isolationist mindset, hasn't it? Let's be real, it has. And it's been a struggle for many including myself, to go out of our way to spend time with other people. But I want you to see that there's no quantifiers here at this verse. Uh, Jesus does not say uh, to us that, well, as long as all the situations are right, then you should be reaching out to each other. He doesn't say here that, oh, uh, you know, if, if, if everything is just perfect in your life, if you figured everything out first, then it's going to be okay, and then you can love in this way. No, he just simply commands us love purely, love sincerely, and love fervently. Reach out to one another and share the love of Christ. Now, I recognize when I say that to some of you today, that kind of relationship is hard for you. For some of you here today, if somebody reaches out to you, if somebody wants to do something kind to you, or someone just says, hey, let's spend time together, you are immediately suspicious. (laughs) What are they trying to sell me? (laughs) That's your first thought, you know? Uh, Or or in the past, you've had people that have been sincere with you, but then it just, uh, you know, I don't know what, you know, it didn't really come through, or they had ulterior motives. You've suffered in the past, and I'm not diminishing Suffering, I understand the trouble of trust, and I understand those things, okay? I definitely understand those things. Uh, For others of you, it's hard to get out of your comfort zone. It's hard for you to reach out, but I want you to know this is God's desire, and it's still God's plan, regardless of how we feel about things. That's what I love. He judges us with impartiality, and he commands us with impartiality as well. He doesn't say, hey, if you've had a great life, you'd be the ones that are loving. Those of you that had a rough life, you just kind of hang out over here in the corner and avoid people. No, all of you are to love. All of us are to be and act in this way. And remember, this is about living life as a stranger and a pilgrim in this life. 
That's what this whole book is about. This whole, all of these chapters are about living above the noise and the craziness and the weirdness of this world, how to get through difficulty, how to get through trials. And what he's saying is that you need to be loving one another as a church family in this special, special way. Your church family is not your competition. Your church family is not your competition. Your church family is a resource to you. That's why as a pastor, it's it's, it's heartbreaking when people do not avail themselves of the resource of the local church body. Listen, be a part. Be faithful. Get here. Connect with others. Don't just show up and take off. Like, get to know one another. You say, I'm uncomfortable. I don't like putting myself out there. I I get it. I, I totally understand that. But this is something that God is saying, this will help you. This will help you grow. This will help you get through difficult times. I can't tell you how much you, church family, bring joy to my life and to my family's life. When we have walked through dark and difficult seasons of life, the one thing that brought us hope and joy was when you would call me, when you would text me, when you would uh, invite our family over, when you would spend time with us, when you would drop by the house, when you would just say something encouraging to us. Listen, God uses you. And I'm just, this is a personal testimony today. You, church family, have brought so much joy and helped my family through trials and difficulties as we felt strangers and pilgrims so deeply. And you, church family, have been there for us. And listen, I want to be that for you. And you should want to, this side should want to do that for this. This is a competition, by the way, right? No, and this side should want to be there for this side. You understand what I'm saying? We should desire that. We should be reaching out to one another. And you can be that joy for others as well. Peter is encouraging us to place value on Christian relationships. Place value on it. You live in love. You know, we always tell people that are searching for a spouse, be the right person and you'll find the right person. I've said that to some of you. (laughs) Be the right person and you'll find the right person. And that's true. That's very true. But the same way when it comes to Christian love. Love as Christ calls us and as Christ commands us to love. And you'll be amazed at how that can spread. And how God can use that in your life and in the life of other people as well. Peter says, value those Christian relationships. Pursue them. uh, Bring love to them in a unique way. But he also backs it up with another reason. Verse 24 through 25, he says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Here's what he's saying. You need to show love to one another because life is short. Life is short. This uh, physical life that we have is just a vapor that will one day just, it'll be here and it's gone. But you know what lasts forever? Those that we will spend eternity with in heaven. The relationships that we have in this church are eternal relationships. That's pretty cool. I think that's really cool that we're going to spend time together. So Kiki and I are going to be in heaven together, high-fiving and talking about, remember those days on the earth, how terrible it was. <laughs> remember how hard those pews were, Pastor, right? Remember how hard those pews were, but here we're in heaven finally. We're here together. How awesome is that? Stephanie is going to be up there, and we're going to be up there, and she's going to teach me how to paint in heaven. I hope maybe I'll gain that skill. But those relationships are eternal. And so we should cherish them as that. They're not, they're not to be thrown away. They're not to just be cast off. They're not to be misused and abused. They are eternal relationships. And and he's given that to us. Our life is a vapor, so we need to invest in it while we can. 
Invest in those and, and connect with them and live and act like the family of God because we're running out of time, honestly. It's interesting here. Peter grounds his argument for love in a quote of Isaiah 40. That's a quote from Isaiah chapter 40. Now, the, the context of Isaiah 40 is that the people of Israel were about to go into exile and they needed comfort. And God came along to them and he said to them, he says, the word of God endures forever. This life is, is just short. Now, it's a comfort to us in difficulty, of course, that the life is short. We use that oftentimes. But it also should be used as an encouragement for us to live and love in God's way. It's a good reminder for all of us. The truth is, you and I will probably not be remembered within two generations of our death if God gives us that kind of time. Think about it. I think all of us can give details about our parents, and we can talk about maybe our grandparents. I know for me, I know where my grandma was born and my grandparents lived and what kind of things they did, but I can't tell you pretty much anything at all about my great-grandparents. Sort of a, just a, a fact of life that within a couple of generations were pretty much forgotten. So that means that our time, that's just two generations, our time here is short, and it's an opportunity for us to make a difference. And one of the ways that we do that is by our love. John Wesley said this, speaking about the brevity of life. He says, I am a creature of a day. I am a spirit come from God and returning to God. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. God himself has condescended to teach me that way. He has written it down in a book. And he said this, oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. Let me be a man of one book. What is he saying here? He's saying here in the short time that we have, we need the word of God. It endures forever. And that's why there at verse number 25, uh, we see that. He says, the word of the Lord endureth forever. Life is short. We have a short time to invest in one another. But we do know this, that the word of God abides and continues on. And through the word of God, through the truth that God has given to us in his word, we can express love for one another and we can live our lives that demonstrate the love of God. But time is short. Time is short for that. So we must get to the business of growing and maturing and living in the love of God. You know, this passage is all about two things, fear and love, <laughs> fear and love. And they are two characteristics that must be found in the life of the Christian. But it's not a terror that we live in, it's a respect, it's an awe of God. And the love that we must have is sincere. It is the kind of love that reaches out. Now just take those two characteristics right there, and I'll tell you what, you can found your life on those two things. You, can found, you don't need 101 ways to live the Christian life. You need the fear of God and a genuine love, and it can radically transform your life. It can radically transform your relationships. But we must fear God. He is our Father. He is the judge. He is the judge, and we must love in a unique way. My challenge for us today is that we would be so led by the Spirit of God, we would be so reverent of His love and of His Word, that fervent, pure love would just be an easy expression of our faith. An easy expression of our faith. Listen, the life of our church, you know, we're just over seven years old as a church. I pray, I pray, for, I pray for 30 years here at City Baptist. I do pray for that. And you know what? That 30 years is going to go like this. Every birthday, I'm reminded of that, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm that old? <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> what happened? Our time is short, so what are we doing with the time that we have? What are we doing? The years of our church, what are we, what are we doing with them? Are we living out 
what God has called us to do? Are we expressing our faith as we should? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning for a time of reflection. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We really appreciate you joining in. You know, if today's sermon was a help to you, we'd ask that you maybe take a moment and just give us a quick rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening. That really does help get the word out and for other people to find our content as well as connect into the word of God, which is really the most important thing to us. As well, we encourage you to, if you want any more information about City Baptist in Vancouver, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca or follow us on social media through Facebook and Instagram. Our prayer is that you would continue to walk and grow with Christ. And we love you and we pray for you and we hope that you have a great rest of your day.